Welcome back, everybody, to Tradmen. I hope that you're all doing well. And I wanted to jump on here and uh, cut an intro for a really good recording I did last night with our friends over at Avoiding Babylon, Rob and Anthony, where we discussed the Anabaptist movement in general, but also focus on the Anabaptist rebellion in 1534 in Munster, Germany, where a lot of craziness happened, but also a lot of just downright evilness uh, occurred among the, the the rebellion there. So I'm excited to share this episode with you. Make sure to give it a listen, like it, share it with your friends, but also make sure to hit that subscribe button. And once you're done with that, jump over to Avoiding Babylon, which there'll be a link below, and give them a follow as well. Thank you and God bless. Yeah. Uh, take me back to my reversion Unite the clans, I give thanks to each person It's that same holy water that we immerse in It's that same tradition that we all each verse in United we stand and divided they win They ignited in their plans and divided they sin If you think about it, they see us all for the same lands Their biggest fear is that we all remain friends I got love for T-Marsh and y'all podcast I got love for Michael Matt fans Ryan Grant, Rick, Verity, Flanders, Eric Sanders. Shout out to my boy, John Arrington. Avoid Babylon. I got love for Anthony and Rob Speak On. If you try, you're persecuted the same for the weak heart. Our rules go way back before the Genesis, the Greek art, sweetheart. Yeah, this is a mass of the ages. Shout out to Bishop Athanasius, Father Dave Nix. Red Pill, we out the Matrix. Haters. Welcome, everyone. Uh, so tonight I have Jason with us. Um, Anthony's going to be joining here shortly. Um, but we wanted to get together to do a little uh, discussion tonight on the Anabaptists. Um, and this all really started with you um, in a, a chat that we're in bringing up, uh, uh, who was it, Dan Carlin, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, because there was, I just asked the group. Uh, if anybody had heard Dan Carlin's Wrath of the Cons, because it's one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. And then it was Anthony that had asked about um, this Prophets of Doom, which I had never heard of the rebellion at Munster until this. And it was it was really good. It was really fascinating. Um, now, Dan, Dan Carlin was a he's a radio show host originally, I think. Right. Something like that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what his background is. <clears throat> yeah, so he, I don't. He's not a, an actual historian, but he has this this ongoing podcast called um, Hardcore History. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, some of the history is is I guess what you would get in kind of a, a public school, you know. For, so it kind of tells the the secular narrative we've heard. I don't know, my whole life anyways. But um, he does a really good job of storytelling, which I thought yeah. was was awesome. Um, so you you said you really liked his one on the, the Mongols, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and Dan does a really good job because if, if anyone's not familiar with his podcast, his episodes aren't like an hour, two hours. I mean, you're talking about one episode can be four hours long. And he can do five or six in a series that are four or five hours long. But he never really, you never really lose interest in it because he's he's good at what he does. Um, 
but yeah, the one that I listened to was like, like I said, Wrath of the Cons. It was three or four part series, like I said, three or four hours each. But I mean, he just draws you into it and, and, and did the same thing with this Prophets of Doom, just really drew you into the story. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, the, uh, probably the first hour, and Anthony kind of warned us about it too. He kind of goes over uh, just your generic anti Catholic history that doesn't necessarily have the full picture of what was going on at the time but but afterwards he seems to uh and you had mentioned it to me on our chat he gets into first sources instead of going second hand and then that's really when you start getting the history of what happened at munster during the the rebellion yeah yeah exactly um yeah the first hour of the show was a little hard to get i mean a little hard to get through not so much that he's entertaining to listen to um that was that's for sure but as he was setting up kind of the historical background it was definitely had an anti-catholic bent to it not not specifically so he's not like a raging evangelical you know (laughs) anti-catholic or anything just the anti-catholic uh perspective that you get from most history you know anyways yeah, but, he definitely. Uh, yeah, he definitely wasn't like trying to bash or come out against the Catholics. It was just that Enlightenment formed history, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the you know the Renaissance was this great humanist project, fighting against the backwards medieval <laughs> church and all, yeah. all that usual stuff. Yeah, but um, so yeah, the the sec the last three hours of the four hour podcast. It covers what it like a year of time in I the thought, city of Munster. Yeah, I thought it was a yeah. I guess because yeah, it would have to be because the rebellion was was uh, a year anyway. But yeah, it was. Yeah. But yeah, he covers a, a year in that and does a does a very good job. And you know, I know, I know. With me, when when I think of Anabaptists, I think of more of your pacifist. And your stuff, you know, groups like that, like your Mennonites and your Amish and stuff like that. And it was wild to me, wild <laughs> to hear this story about these Anabaptists because they were they were on the complete opposite end of the spectrum by their end. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so, yeah, you said you had never really heard of the Munster Rebellion mm-hmm. prior to this. No, I I'd, I'd learned about it in high school uh, as part of as part of what they taught us about the Reformation. But, you know, what they what they taught us was, you know, they it was called well, part of what they called the Radical Reformation. But other than just giving th- those Anabaptists the, the, you know, the adjective radical, it, it didn't, it just made it seem as part of like the normal Reformation, right? Like they were just mm-hmm. another group of Protestants, um, which is probably kind of what you the perspective you had on, on the Anabaptist groups that you kind of know, right? Yeah. So, so you're saying that they just came out of the, just the general reformation, right? That That's what we had been. That's what I yeah. believe in high school. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that, that was my original understanding of the Anabaptists because again, I, I hadn't heard, heard about this, but I also hadn't heard about the radical reformation within the bigger reformation. So that was, that was an interesting rabbit hole as as well. (laughs) What's up, brick. What's going on, brick? Um, My man. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, so what was, I guess before we get into like some of the, the details as to who they were and, and stuff, what was your biggest takeaway from, from the, what we listened to from this episode from, from Carlin? My biggest takeaway, man. Um, once I got past the shock of what, what was going on in Munster, it just it just really kind of and I know this may sound cliche to some people that that have um maybe been Catholic their whole life, have you know been faithful Catholics, but it really kind of shows the importance of having boundaries and guidelines, right? And the Catholic church sets those boundaries. You know, a lot somebody told me during my conversion that the Catholic church is like, say, you know, when you're bowling and you've got the bumper, uh, the bumpers on the side and it keeps that ball within there, the, the Catholic church says you can explore all these areas within these bumpers. But once you start going outside, they're there to say, come on back in. You know, I mean, that's, of course, outside of dogmatic teachings that you're required to believe, because, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things the church doesn't necessarily uh, require assent to. Right. But um it just really showed how private interpretation can really get you in left field. It can get you in trouble to the point to where if you, if you start thinking that this person has a special line to God, now you're in dangerous territory because we've had cults like that here in recent decades. We had the, what the Jim Jones or recent times, rather not decades. Right. You had Jim Jones. You had, of course, Waco. Heaven's I mean, so Gate. on and so forth. Heaven's Gate. So it, it just really shows the need for there to be a higher authority that we all assent to. Even um, and oh hi everyone, hi Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys have no idea. It's like, you guys are so like calm and everything's like so organized when I'm not here. I jump on and mayhem starts. Um, you still don't we, have a light, even. I I'm, I can see <laughs> like this. Um, even uh, so we 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 started discussing. Uh, this from the Dan Carlin podcast. Did you guys start saying that or no? Yeah, 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 we covered that, yeah. Yeah, so like even him as a secular, mediocre historian, as he, you know, he labels himself that. Like he says he's not a real historian. Even he was able to recognize like this is what can happen when you don't have a Pope figure to keep things, you know, uh, to have like an authority figure to say, look, you guys are going off the rails here. You can't do this. Yeah, you need that magisterium, yeah. These people, what wound up happening there was so outrageous. It was, I, I remember listening to it and even like, so I, when I told you guys to listen to it, like I said, you could probably skip the first hour because you get the classic cliche, like, uh, you know, the Bible was never written in the vernacular and yeah. all, the, all the nonsense like that you hear. It's like, th- th- that was obviously silly. Oh, this is going great already. Uh, Anthony, we, we can't, can't hear, hear you. Anything. You're not muted. Okay, so <laughs> it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a, sh- a show with us if things everything if everything went right. No, but I but I mean I guess we could just pick up you know where we left off because anthony yeah. was making along the same lines about you know you need that magisterium the the leadership of the church to keep you within 
the guardrail. So I guess let me flip the question back to you. What was what was your biggest takeaway when when you think of this story? Um, for me, it was kind of connecting what I had learned earlier in high school. Um, because when they go, you know, when they went over the the rebellion in high school, it was really more, um, you know, about a, a group of really just another group of Protestants that decided to take over a small town in Germany and got their butts handed to them by, you know, by their local Lord. Uh, uh, And that's really all they talk about other than, you know, the guys being tortured in cages and the cages still hung up on the, on the cathedral, which if anyone saw the thumbnail for the video, that's what the thumbnail is of. It is of the, the cages that, the three ringleaders that after all was said and done who were captured, tortured and executed, those cages still hang from the, the, the cathedral today. But I guess my biggest takeaway was taking what I knew about it prior and connecting it to some things I've learned more recently, um, largely through watching uh, Jeremiah Bannister, uh, paleocrat, if anyone's familiar. Um, he went through this amazing book called uh, enthusiasm and listening to to Dan Carlin talk about um, Melchior Hoffman and uh, John of Leyden and um, sorry these other <laughs> it's <was laughs> gonna be rough. I'm gonna be getting phone calls every minute. Ah, no uh, that's what that was. That makes sense. Yeah, I got a phone call. But um, listening to to uh, Carlin talk about these guys and some of the the things they believed and things they did, um, you know, like the polygamy they, they began to enforce um, the, the crazy dreams they would claim from God, all these weird things that you don't hear about with Luther, with Calvin, with Zwingli. um, No, but you you do hear it. You do hear it from, um, what's the guy, what's the guy we were talking about with Jeremiah the other night in the green room. Uh, that with the COVID thing, <laughs> it was like be gone, COVID. Oh, you're talking well, about Copeland and and yeah, like guys. get a Copeland. Yeah. Well, right. to have those things happen, like you right. But that. what surprised me is is how close those things that you hear from this John of Leyden, Melchior Hoppen, were to earlier heresies, to like the Cathars, to to even like the um, the Montanist in the second and third century. You know, some of that things. It's like you come to realize that the Anabaptists, number one, weren't just your standard Protestants. Yeah, no, Jan van Leiden actually claimed he heard the voice of God. And well, then, so did Matthias, oh, bef- Matthias before him. Yeah, and it's Melchior like, Hoffman even before them. Well, see, and that's the danger of private interpretations on the Bible, right? Because you're going to have all these groups that say, well, we are guided by the Bible, but they all defer in how they view that. And, you know, going what you were saying, Rob, even some of the Anabaptist groups trace their lineage back or try to, at least to the Waldesians. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and, and they weren't, and, and, and you know, for a fact that these Anabaptists and Munster were not part of the refer the larger reformation. They were part of a smaller outbranching of that because Dan Carlin brings up in the episode that even Luther writes a letter to them and says, you guys are basically idiots. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh yeah. Luther, Luther, the Luther and the other Protestants came down 
as hard on them as the Catholic Church did. Yeah. Yeah, and it was such a crazy time in Germany at this time because they wanted they the whole the whole thing was looting the church, right? Like that was the Reformation was really just to loot the church. But then once you let the cat out of the bag, it's like now it's a free for all. And it's yeah. just every man for himself. And you get like so you did have the mainline Protestant groups who did have some semblance of I guess like normalcy, but like you do get, I mean, you still get these crazy groups. I mean, that was like, uh, what, go ahead, what was that? Nothing. Go. Yeah. No, like you, even to this day, you'll get those crazy groups. Like, I mean, that's what Jonestown was. It was, it was that's just what, a guy. That's what, playing. that's what Waco was. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the Waco, federal Waco that guy. Well, yeah, well, the, the death of those guys was definitely shady as far as what the federal right. government, but 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 the cult-like brainwashing well, do, of the people. Do you is, know where the, um, or what were they called? Just, I'm blanking on it. Waco. They were the Branch Davidians. Branch, Branch Davidians, Do you know what yeah. group they come from? I they, do, but I'm drawing a blank. Seventh-day Adventists. That, yeah, they are, yeah. yeah oh, right. really? Oh yeah, yeah. Seventh Day Adventists are kooks. <laughs> they are. They're kooks. <laughs> no, they. But no, but you're right, Rob. They are. I from, work. Yeah. I work with the Seventh Day Adventists. That guy's a nut. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know what he says about Catholics after interacting with you every day. Honestly, yeah, I don't think he, I don't <laughs> think he was like. I don't think he was so anti-Catholic though. Like most Seventh Day Adventists are adamantly anti-Catholic. Yep. He wasn't because when I when I explained a few things to him, he was like, "Oh, that sounds like a like I was I was actually talking to him about like confession and stuff, and he wasn't like so opposed to it. He understood like the the logic of it, you know. I I didn't explain it from a a biblical standpoint. I tried to explain it from a logical standpoint, just the idea of unburdening yourself from sin, you know. Um, actually, prepping from heaven there. I, I was going to make a point about that because within the United States, there was another movement back in the early 1800s called the restoration movement. And yeah. out of that, again, came the churches of Christ, disciples of Christ, a Christian church called the, I think the brethren or disciples or whatever. The Mormons actually one of what, well, not Joseph Smith, but one of the main leaders ultimately of the Mormon church came from the restoration movement in the United States. So, mm. They can they they can in a way trace their roots back to it. Now they went way off, and and it kind of brings me to something else that, that's interesting about the Anabaptists because early on they were, I, I guess for the most part, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, pretty orthodox in their Trinitarian beliefs. But that kind of, of course, fell by the wayside as people try to understand a divine mystery that can't ever be comprehended in human terms. Well, you know. It- the the definition of Anabaptists is that they don't believe in infant baptism. So that's really the one belief that all these sort of Anabaptist-like groups can trace back to, right? Um, and they and they don't believe in the indelible mark, obviously, in the way that we do, because like you, Anabaptist means they were rebaptizing people. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, t- they they don't they don't have any sacramental system at all, as far as I know. Um, yeah, yeah, but but you're right. I think I think if you surveyed most Anabaptists or Anabaptist leaning groups back in the 1500s, most are probably Trinitarian. Yeah. You know, I don't know about some of the the groups today. I don't know about Mennonites, um, but like the 
the evangelical because a lot of evangelical churches really are Anabaptists, but a lot of them also are Trinitarian, but some yeah. aren't. So yeah, there's really no there's no set doctrine. It's kind of just a set of presuppositions, right? I mean, like you said, they're they're the one core presupposition they have is private interpretation. Yeah. In a, in a way that Luther did not mean um, like, uh, like Ronald Knox talks, talks about here in the book. He says the real issue was not infant versus adult baptism, but something which cut much deeper. It was the question whether there should or should not be liberty of prophesying. When the Bible was thrown open to the survey of the ordinary lay Christian, the Protestant assumption was that everybody would be guided by the Holy Spirit to interpret it for himself in the right sense. All God's people would be taught of God. It must have been an awkward moment for Luther when he discovered that men who attracted a large public following in Germany were deriving their inspiration from the Bible and reading a great deal more into it than he did. Mm-hmm. Simple folk might read the Bible for themselves if they could derive any spiritual profit from the exercise, but their rule of faith was not, in fact, to be any private inspiration of their own. They were to be guided by the scripture as interpreted by Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Beza and Knox. In other words, by the pundits. To describe this as the second generation of Protestantism is to admit that Protestantism dates back behind Luther. Luther's Protestantism for the purposes of the enthusiast was stillborn. So, I mean, that kind of gets to the heart of what you said. Um, when you don't have anyone but yourself restraining yourself, you go, things get crazy. Go yeah. get nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I see here in the comments prepping from heaven, you know, I talk, which, which I'm not sure if it's a he or she, but they are, they are right that a lot of the Protestant groups don't believe baptism is necessary for salvation, which ironically enough, again, the, that was something I was always taught in my Protestant days. But my my the thing I couldn't figure out about Anabaptists is, um, and maybe you know, do they believe baptism is necessary for salvation? I I can't say for sure, honestly, because I'm not sure what the Amish or Mennonites and you know, I something that kind of blew my mind in research up to this. I don't. This I don't even think. Today, I don't even think Lutherans believe it's necessary for salvation. Yeah, a they, lot of Protestant groups don't, I know, but I don't know about Lutherans. Well, my, I remember, uh, I don't know what the official Lutheran teaching is, but I went to um, a christening for my niece at my wife's parents' church, and they were Lutheran. They were Missouri Synod Lutheran, and I remember the pastor giving a sermon saying... Um, at first, he was like, you know, and baptism is necessary. No, actually, actually, they I don't, don't want to say because, it's necessary <laughs> because they, because they are faith alone. They do believe in faith alone, so that would, of course, make sense that right. baptism is not necessary if you're faith yeah. alone. Um, but you know, Haley says that she's almost certain they do not believe that it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they do, which is so strange because they call themselves Baptists and the Anabaptists. It's like, <laughs> I've had arguments with Baptists who say that baptism is not necessary. Oh, like, oh you're, you're, you're independent. We're talking fundamental about Baptists definitely don't believe baptism right. necessary. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to get going back on to 
the events at Munster was one thing I found interesting that that even links from the apostolic age to even today um, is this, you know, they, they renamed Munster or were calling it the New Jerusalem because they were at the end of times. And, and even today within the Catholic Church, there's so much debate about we're in the end times, right? And I just, it, it just seems like there's been a debate from the apostolic times because even Paul in his writings, you could tell he was kind of writing about a sense we're at the end of times, right? But again, going back to what we said in the beginning of this, how did they, how did the Anabaptists at Munster get it? so wrong and go so out well, in the left field. There's so many it's because, it's because well I'm just saying they they felt they were at the end of times. They were a special group that were called to cleanse the world. And when you have that formula, that is that is a dangerous formula to commit to commit heinous acts when you think you have that kind of license. So but you have to realize even okay yeah Catholics are guilty of this too obsessing on the end times so are most protestant groups i mean think mm -hmm. about how many of those movies of left behind were, were put out right but even secular um non-believing people are obsessed with it with the whole climate change thing there's something in us that yeah. we all want to believe we're the last generation i think it's like i think people like have a hard time accepting that the world's going to go on fine without them when they're gone well and it absolves you of all responsibility yeah. yeah. If it's the end, it's the end. Well, Anthony, let me I, – I'm going to steal Rob's question he asked because we've both already kind of answered our question. What What did you take out of this story of Munster the most? Uh, how off the rails things can go without authority. That was like – that was really what I took from it. And, and it – it it made me like it was it was one of the oh man I got guys coming up to come in and talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Gary? Walk out this side. He's almost done with that pass. Okay, I got. Yeah, I was gonna say mute him. Yeah, oh. uh, mute him until you wait. mute me. Um. <laughs> so, um. Well, you were talking. I think it was you or Anthony talking about. Um. I forget what exactly you said but it made me think of this passage from the book how um when it comes to private inter interpretation it some of the crazy things really just come down to psychological impulse are you back anthony yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so you were talking about the authority yeah it's like if you don't have the authority to rein you in which even i i mean this guy was claiming that authority right so he was the people's authority. I mean, they thought even Dan Collin was like, well, maybe there was something in the water. The the uh, St. Anthony's fire was in the water because these people were acting yeah. like lunatics. Like they it was almost like they were having group hallucinations. But it's it shows you the power of it, it almost thought, it reminded me of the um, the prison experiments, the uh, what was it, the Stanford prison experiment. Yes. Yeah. Where where the where the. It's like when you have a person in authority who is off the rails, you will go along with anything. Yeah. It, it, it was kind of wild how these people were going along with this insanity. Well, men, well, were giving, men were giving their wives over to them. It's well, like, yeah, e eventually. And, and even before all the polygamy started in Munster, when, when they were killing each other and they were being starved out and all that they were still apparently overtaken with joy because like like dan carlin mentioned you know it was like 
uh, Von Matthias or whatever his name. No, not Von. He's not. He wasn't a Van. Matthias. Uh, Jan, Jan Matthias believed that he literally had a walk. He almost sounded like he was schizophrenic. Like he thought he had a walkie-talkie to God, basically. Yeah. Like like he would have a conversation and he would turn around, basically talk to himself, turn back around, be like, "Well, God said this." Now the question is, did he really think he did, or was he just well? Matthiasen is the one who, if you remember, he goes off alone, you know, across no man's land, across the siege lines to fight the the archbishop's forces, all, what, eight, ten thousand of them, by himself. <laughs> yeah, but he must have really believed it. Yeah, well, he must have, but you know, I, I always kind of think that same question with these type of leaders. But then I'm, do they really believe what they're saying? But I think back to what Paul writes. I believe it's in the Thessalo the letter to the Thessalonians. But he writes, if you want to, I'm paraphrasing, but if you want to believe a lie bad enough, God will send you strong delusions that you may believe that lie. So it's like God. Well, no, he, okay, so, all right. I'm sorry. I so you're paraphrasing that, but what really, what that really is, is it's. God's mercy is sending you chastisements. God's wrath is allowing you to to it, it's it's allowing you to have the delusions that you want. It's almost like I'm well, going to yeah. give you what you want instead of what you need is God's yeah, wrath. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and that's what I was going to clarify with it. It's not that he's necessarily leading you into error, but you are rejecting the truth that such it, it, with such ferocity that, hey, okay, you know, his permissive will, I guess, if you want to say. Well, it's, it's God's will, wrath at that point. Will he let you go down you that to, uh, road. It allows you to go off the rails because it's it's you've gone so far off the deep end that you just he'll allow yeah. for the for you, for you to just. He won't send you chastisements to bring you back anymore. He'll just let you go off the deep end. So yeah, so so my but my point being is that yeah, so I I do believe that these people, a lot of them, did believe what they were doing, ultimately, at the well, end I, at least. I think the followers did. The followers clearly believed them. Oh, without a doubt, yeah, without a doubt. It's a it's a matter of did the did the actual guy. Now really Matthias. Believe? Matthias, I, I I believe that he did. Now, when you get to Van Leiden, I I'm not so convinced that he actually believed all that. Now he did he ended up did end up going di to die, but he was also under the false notion that a Anabaptist army was going to come and rescue him as well for a long period of time. But I I don't necessarily believe that Van Leiden was a true believer like Matthias. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's, and I hate to compare everything to this, but there's some real parallels there between between that and for instance Adolf Hitler in World War II was he a true believer in the the final the craziness season. he came up with no the man was a a politician and um you know and, and I don't, ultimately I don't came... like when people write Hitler off like he was crazy he wasn't crazy no no but he also believed up till the last you know almost the end that somehow Germany could pull it off, and the you Germans know, he, weren't and the Germans weren't necessarily deceived like a lot of people think they were. They were they right. were on board with what was going on. Well, it, yeah, you had true believers like Himmler, for instance. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's in case he falls in the, falls in the water. <laughs> Mac, I'm, I'm working because I'm working a night shift. because like you like you mentioned earlier, uh, Rob Math Matthias went out 
to battle like 500 troops against 10. Matthias knew that. And I guess he looked at himself as like another Gideon or, or whatnot. But yeah, uh, when, when you get to Van Leiden, he was, as the story progresses, he kept expecting, up until the end at least, he kept expecting an Anabaptist army to come and help them fight off the, uh, is it Prince Bishop or Bish, Bishop Prince Bishop? Um, right? Is it Prince uh, Bishop? Yeah. Anyway, whoever was running that area in Germany, whatever it's yeah, it the Prince was. Bishop. So now I didn't <laughs> yeah. understand. If, was a Prince Bishop just a, a prince of the church, or was no. he a so? Was he a was. It's it was an office in the Holy Roman Emperor no. Empire. He was an elector. Of the of the Holy Roman Empire, um, so he was a bishop, but he was a prince within that. Whoever was Holy- bishop held that see was a prince within the Holy Roman Empire. But he had oh. several kids as well, because I kind of looked up that because I was curious about that as well, and it said he had like several kids as well. Some some of which came to be uh, going to be clergy within the church. So wait, were they? I mean, he, if he's a he wasn't married, right? With with these. With these, uh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, at that point, the church had celibacy. It's not. Yeah, yo, they, yeah, they definitely did at that point. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, don't know. I don't I know mean, much I mean, about it. Let me see. Let me look up his name because I want to make sure that I'm telling the story right. Let's see. Yeah, it was definitely a, a wild episode to listen to, and it, and I, and the reason it was so crazy is because it was from. Hey, oh, you know what? I got to, I got to, guys, I got a bail. <laughs> I'll be back. In uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a print. Yeah. The proper term is Prince uh, Bishop um, of Munster. So his name was, uh, what was his name at the time? Franz von Waldeck. Von Waldeck. And it says that he, he was the son, blah, blah, blah. Um, Okay, so it says his marriage an issue. He met Anna Pullman. Uh, they lived a marriage-like relationship, having eight children, four sons and four daughters. So I'm not exactly sure what that means. <laughs> marriage. I mean, I know what, <laughs> what they mean by marriage-like relationship, but I'm not sure how that falls within the sacramental nature of of, <laughs> of marriage. You know. Um, but yeah, it said they. So let's see, four of his or three of his sons became clergymen. Yeah, when you have eight kids in that time period. Yeah. <laughs> the younger ones usually did, did become clergy. So when um, you know, you, you're talking about or you both you and Anthony said how your biggest takeaway was what happens when you don't have any guidance or authority. And you had mentioned how you know, we questioned whether or not Matthiason and and Leyden believed some of this crazy nonsense and you know, I thought uh, Knox in the book here as a as a good good section when he says it would have been. Um, well, I guess I'll start a little earlier. While the reformers, the you know Luther, um, Calvin, Zwingli, were thus driven back on pure scripturalism, the Anabaptists, who were no less careful students of the Bible in their own way, continued to believe that uh, prophetic inspiration was granted them to understand the Word of God. Uh, revelation to them was progressive and not static. So it wasn't just that they, you know, believed in private interpretation of the Bible. They thought they could still 
receive new uh, yeah. new revelation. But it would have been surprising if such claims to the prophetic gift had not resulted in some irregularities of conduct. Uh, Knox is so underspoken sometimes it's hilarious irregularities of conduct <laughs> well there <laughs> to polygamy and and yeah, just an irregularity yeah irregular conduct yeah, well there can be little doubt that the ordinary run of anabaptist you know like your your uh amish and mennonites um where people have simple and somewhat rigid morality we can hardly conclude that the scandals which attach to the memory of the sect um, date entirely from the last days of Munster. History abounds with warnings that the mystic who follows his own guidance without any check from outside may easily mistake the stirrings of his own unconscious self, even the baser of them, for inspirations from on high, all the more so when a doctrine of perfectionism um, is popular as it seems to have been with some of the Anabaptists and men come to believe that they themselves are actually incapable of sinning. Mm. So yeah. that, you know, that was, that's another one of those beliefs that, that goes back to like the Waldenses and the Cathars and these earlier heretics that, that they, they believe that they, even if they do something which to most normal people would be a sin, they themselves are perfect <laughs> and can't sin, right? Yeah, you know, w when they talked about the polygamy that started happening under Van Leiden, I thought during during that uh, during that segment of his show, I remember thinking back from what I gathered of how Jan Matthias was, he would have never have gone for that nonsense. But again, I think he was a true believer where Van Leiden was was in in it for himself because he eventually makes himself king and and munster for all intents and purposes becomes a communistic state because you know they have to keep their doors open and subject to regular checks and while the people were starving and losing weight and, and being very malnourished the people at the top like van leiden and nipper darling and them Mm -hmm. They were they were being well fed and all that, and, and that's how communism always works works its way out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as as uh, Catholicism for the modern world says here, you know, on the one hand, Anabaptists say they want to separate from the the church from the state, yeah. but then the Anabaptists and Munster established a theocracy in Munster. <laughs> yeah, they did. And, and Knox actually has some something to say about that. He says, "You're true." ultra supernaturalist which describes anabaptist pretty well has no quarrel properly speaking with the state as a pagan institution that's how they see the state they see it as pagan yeah. it may exist for all he cares and legislate for its own pagan subjects meanwhile he will conform to its laws uh scrupulously though under protest you know that that describes the mennonites pretty well yeah well they, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say they don't agree with the modern state, especially America, but they obey American well, neither, laws. Neither do we. In well, no, <laughs> yeah. but, I, <laughs> but I know what you mean. <laughs> but I bet they follow the speed limit. Well, that's probably because of the horses. Yeah. But <laughs> well, you, you know, uh, so I wrote down here that, you know, as far as some of the Mennonites core beliefs is from, and I'm probably going to butcher the name and I apologize. The Schlittenheim confession. One, one of the things is, is 
the points they make in it is separation from evil, which they which they call the world. So yep. they need to have the separation. But the Amish, of course, take that, you know, what we think of the horse and buggage and stuff like that. But the Mennonites are a diverse group. Some do, some yeah. don't. And There's I some I, stricter versions and yeah, I wouldn't have never have guessed it until today when I was when I was looking up some of the Mennonite beliefs, right? There are groups within the Mennonite church today who bless same-sex unions and who are quote-unquote inclusive of the LGBT community, which I would have never have guessed in the, in a Mennonite group. Yeah. But then again, knowing what I know about the Anabaptists, I would have never have guessed it. <laughs> a story like Munster would have happened. Yeah. If you would have asked me last week before we talked about this, hey, there's some Anabaptists who were murdering, set up a theocracy, <laughs> um, a communist state, um, or, you know, polygamy and, and all this stuff, I would have said there's no way. Because when you think of Anabaptists and these groups within them, you think of pacifists. Yeah. Well, like, so Knox goes on to say that, that um, living under, you know, the, the state's rules is, um, is simply doing its best in an imperfect world. The Anabaptist, believing himself to be already in some sense perfect, cannot find himself at home in an imperfect world or an imperfect state. He fell back on non-resistance and on a kind of passive citizenship. Like, like you were describing the Mennonites and Amish withdrawing from the world. But he says, but all the time, the Anabaptist dreams were of a theocracy. Critics of the movement point to the non-resistance doctrine preached by many of the Anabaptists as inconsistent with the bloodthirsty history of the peasants' revolt or with the butcheries committed by John of Leyden. So long as he is living within the confines of a state governed by worldly men, according to the dictates of carnal wisdom, in which of our states is not, the ultra-supernaturalists, the, the, the Anabaptists, for all intents and purposes, mm -hmm. outlaws himself morally from its constitution. When once a theocratic state is set up under a perfect ruler, or an army is in the field marshaled by perfect generals, there is danger that he will be not less, but more bloodthirsty than is the common want of normal men. So I think Knox is saying that not that the Anabaptists in general or, or others like them are truly pacifist or right, or truly withdrawn from the world he's i think he's saying that they're withdrawn from the world when they have to be but if they ever are given a chance like in munster to make what they see as a perfect society it, they become fanatical yeah and and I, I don't think you well it wasn't to the extreme but there were definitely some very you know, bad things that happened. But if you look at the Puritans in the United States, when they came over and they were trying to set up communities that were, you know, th that met the Puritan standards, mm -hmm. but were also very anti-Catholic passing laws and, and stuff like that. So they weren't very <laughs> charitable um, to <laughs> that. So, so it, it's, again, this is just seems like the beginning of a long line of people that came after them or it, maybe even before them that said, We've got to set up what we consider a perfect society, and then ultimately it it never goes as you plan. Yeah. Um, 
Catholicism for the modern world here brings up a, another point that's made in, in this book here. Um, the Mennonites in earlier Anabaptist groups believe that Jesus had celestial flesh, meaning he, um, well, he says, meaning he avoided original sin by not taking on the flesh from Mary. And that's another thing that really differentiates Anabaptism in its later strains from mainline Protestantism. I mean, Lutherans don't, they, they don't believe in the Immaculate Conception, of course, but yeah. they do see Mary as the mother of, of God, of, yeah. of Jesus, but also of God. But some Anabaptist groups don't even see Mary as the mother necessarily of Jesus, the man. Well, I, I would say that, or, or I would assume that Mennonites don't even believe, because I saw the comment on here, don't even believe in original sin because they reject infant baptism. So if, if you right. reject, if you reject original sin, well, then the natural conclusion is, well, you infant baptism is none that's unnecessary. Right. So, um, but yeah, no, um, <laughs> they do. Yeah. The celestial flesh does sound very Mormonish. And, and I know we've talked, me and you have talked to people seems like recently on every time around a feast of our lady, we talk to some kooks who, 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 who want to bash our lady. And we, and we even talked to somebody here recently that, that, that did claim that Jesus wasn't the mother of Jesus that, she, you know, that he didn't take her flesh or, right. you know, whatnot. I mean, th there's just all kind of, and, 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 you know, I think all these insane ideas come up because you have, because for whatever reason you reject the truth of the Catholic church or in order to counter that, you have to come up with some nonsense in order to make your sex seem viable. Right, like, like you do, which brings me like Gnosticism, like, like you have some special knowledge that Christians didn't have for fifteen hundred years. Mm -hmm. Well, it in it all comes back to private interpretation, and and not just, uh, and even more than that. I mean, you know, groups like the Anabaptists and. Other these these groups they they think they have the inner light right that they yeah. that they that the Holy Spirit guides guides them day to day and of course the Holy Spirit guides all of us day to day but that I don't know I don't know in a special to, way <laughs> in a, right in in a in a different in a in a way more than you would think <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> yeah there was another guy. Um, but what was, uh, besides the whole violent tendency of the Munster rebellion, what was the one belief or action described in the, this, this episode by Dan Carlin that surprised you the most from what you okay. knew of Mennonites and such? Well, it's, it's going to be the polygamy. And, and I'll tell you what stood out to me the most about that is that, uh, during the episode, he's talking about when uh, Van Leiden and Nipperdalen and all them are getting together, and they start. He's, he tries to push Van Leiden tries to push this idea of polygamy. The justification was, well, David and uh, Solomon had all these wives, and God loved them. So if God loves us, why we why can't we have um, all these wives? And I remember thinking, 
because Jesus literally literally said when he was here, <laughs> marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Like from the beginning. Like it's pretty clear. Yeah, like I'm sitting here going, like if I'm one, of, and again, if if you're in this this group, you would think at least one or two would be like, okay, okay, like Jesus literally refutes you on this point, you know. But as far as we know, no no one did, and nobody did until it was their daughters that had to start getting married off to Van Leiden and and all these other people, and then there was a rebellion within the rebellion that yeah. didn't last very long, but. Yeah, I mean, there's not too many, besides your Mormons, there's not too many uh, polygamous groups in the, well, then again, Mormons aren't even remotely Christian, um, but there's not too many polygamous groups that call themselves Christian today. Yeah. Yeah, I just... I understand after what happened in Munster, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like... you know, it's clear as day. Even even those that don't agree necessarily with divorce and remarriage, the teachings of Jesus on that, will at least acknowledge that you're not allowed to have multiple wives. <laughs> and and you know, it, it even says uh, in the New Testament that that you know, God uh, um, God overlooked these times of ignorance, but now He calls all to repentance. So, yeah, there were things that that were allowed in the Old Testament well, that God didn't necessarily want to happen. Well, well, right, Christ says that it was allowed. The Moses allowed it due to the hardness of their hearts. Yeah, basically, you idiots weren't, weren't <laughs> going to accept Moses otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but now He calls you to repentance, to to conform to His will, and and again. Uh, the, the polygamy is another reason I don't believe Van Leiden was a true believer. I think again he was he made himself king. He he enacted this polygamy. He was in it for his carnal desires. Yep. Well, in there, um, what was interesting to me, at least the way you know it was told by Dan Carlin, because of course I didn't read any of these sources, so. So I don't, I don't know, but the way he told the story of, so John, John of Leiden, of course, said he had visions and communication directly from God. I mean, literally he could be talking to someone to be like, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. <laughs> the phone's you know, oh, okay. God just told me, <laughs> you know, that, that's the way Dan, uh, Dan Carlin made it sound like. Right. Um, but he, um, I forget the situation. John of Leiden was in some sort of, bind the people were starting to not not seem to trust him or there's some sort of problem right? right and suddenly this other this nobody comes up and says oh i had a i had a dream directly from god last night and it happened to be exactly what john of Leyden needed to get out of this bind i mean to me it just seems so politically orchestrated yeah. Is that is that how it sounded to you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean I mean he wasn't like a true prophet. So I mean <laughs> in order for him to prophesy what was gonna happen, he would have to know. And also with Van Leiden, he he sure was a turncoat against Matthias as well, because as soon as Matthias so so for those that don't know, the the killing of Matthias was very 
was very gruesome. They they basically killed him in the field of battle and outside the walls. Didn't take very long, I'm sure. It was well, 500 was... against 10. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Chopped up his body in front of them. Put his head on a on a on a I guess pike or whatever, and then took his man area and nailed him to the to the door of the of the city entrance. I guess so. Van, you know, most sane people would be like, all right, we're, we're done, dude. We're done. We're done. We're we're done. Van Leiden gets up and goes, no, Matthias was being punished by God. So, but God has come to me and told me that I am to lead you people. Now I'm paraphrasing here, but that was the gist of the conversation. And then he had, of course, Nipper Darling and them supposedly back him up. And, and Matthias had also, uh, married a a, a a a nun you know who had left a convent to marry him and she was supposedly up there saying yeah matthias was wrong so it's not like they had each other's back that well no and, and this was i mean like you said this was after matthias went out into battle because he believed god told him to to go out with only 10 bodyguards <laughs> more or less yeah. and that he would defeat this army of ten thousand battle-hardened mercenaries <laughs> <laughs> and, and these Anabaptists weren't soldiers. No. Uh, Matthias and Nipperdalling was what? Some sort of banker? Or yeah, I mean, he was a merchant. Yeah, and who ended up being a mayor of the town before the rebellion. Right. Matthias, I think, was a basket weaver. John of Leyden was an <laughs> actor and tailor. I mean, but yet this guy thought he could go out with 10 other nobodies surrounding him and beat an army of 10,000. Yeah. And he thought God told him that. And yet when he gets slaughtered, his second in command says, oh, well, God told me that he wasn't going to make it because he didn't really believe it. Yeah. It's like the Jew just went out there and took one for the team. (laughs) 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 You're right. They were, they were backstabbing. I mean, well, and if I'm sitting inside the walls, I'm like, okay, this is going to be the test if I'm on the right side. Oh, he lost. All right, I'm oh, gone. I'm out. Well, and they do talk about the the defections that that started to happen yeah. more and more. And um, well, I guess how's... I guess because of some of the incompetence too on the side of the the uh, the prince bishop, yes. like 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 if you're okay, so if you're inside Munster, you're one of these Anabaptists, and all of a sudden. You have a, a whole bunch of drunk uh, mercenaries who thought the sunset was the sunrise and they attack early and you defeat them. Well, I can see how that's going to encourage you to think, dude, we might be on the right side here. What mm-hmm. I believe God, God is supporting this because we just defeated this army. Yeah, for, for those of you who, are, who don't know or aren't aware, like this time period, there were no standing professional armies. There were no even like mass conscripted citizen armies it was all mercenaries especially in in the holy roman empire so the 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 prince bishop hired you know multiple bands of mercenaries led by different mercenary captains to to besiege you know the town of munster and and like like jason said um they they weren't all the same quality of men (laughs) some like their drink a little bit more than others and in a in a, a planned attack that was supposed to happen at dawn the next morning, 
one group of drunken mercenaries thought the sunset was the sunrise and attacked <laughs> early and started the attack and they had to try to do it at in the middle of night and they got defeated but yeah yeah i mean i mean that it didn't quite happen like the, you know that again but yeah they did get pushed back one or at least one, one time maybe one maybe other, two more yeah yeah one one at least one other subsequent time definitely <laughs> yeah so um, so i guess if i'm on the other side too i can see how some of these guys their confidence was getting built but i don't know after after matthias i i would have personally probably hopefully at least been like dude i'm out well and if it wasn't after that then after john of Leyden wanted you know your uh your buddy to marry your daughter as his third yeah. wife that's probably well which that yeah. did start a revolt but yeah and <laughs> Let me ask you, what were you thinking when you heard during that, that like, um, so, so when some of these guys rebelled against Van Light and they captured all the leaders and they just sat on them arguing about what to do with them. I mean, I mean, were you just screaming in your head? Like, what are you doing? It's like suddenly you guys aren't bloodthirsty. Or that, like yeah. after everything you've done up to this point. Yeah. I mean, at least throw them outside the walls. Yeah. Give them over, like use them as a, but I think that shows you that these people largely really did believe yeah. if they didn't believe that the world, because, because it all started with, with Melchior Hoffman saying the world was going to end in Strasbourg, but it didn't. But then John Matthiasen, Matthias comes to Munster and say, the world's going to end in Munster. Right. So I think it shows these people really believe that the world was going to end at Munster and they had to be there to be saved. Otherwise, why not give John of Leyden over to the Prince Bishop as a peace offering? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit on the story, but, but something else that was, um, that was interesting about the story as well was the girl, the 15 year old girl, I think 15 or 12, whatever she was, she was 15. 14. Yeah. She was a teenage girl. Yeah was such a believer that she was willing to go to the Prince Bishop with a shirt that she had laced with poison and was going to kill him with it. Yeah. But because of some defections, the Prince Bishop already knew about it, ended up torturing and killing the girl because of it. But I mean, yeah, there, I mean, these real, you know, I, I know kids are impressionable, but how many kids at that age are you going to have willing to make a sacrifice like that? And, in something they don't really believe in, you know? And even worse, how many adults would ever let someone do that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Granted, I know it was a different time and adulthood in the age of adulthood was looked at differently, but, um, well, we're coming up in an hour. So I guess the two questions I, I have for you one. So I named the episode Anabaptists, uh, radical reformers or medieval heretics or medieval prophets of doom. Now that from what you had known before and from listening to this episode by Dan Carlin, how do you see them now? Do you see them more as just kind of a radical branch of, of Protestants from that time period? Or do you see them as something entirely different? And then the second question <laughs> So I think what most of the people in the town of, of Munster were killed. So these people, you know, these leaders got 10,000 people slaughtered. 
let alone the soldiers that had to fight them. So the, Layden and uh, Nipperdalling, and I forget the third one. Wow, you guys but still going, huh? We're just finishing up now. Um, <laughs> just in time. But they're tortured and executed at the end. Do you who are, see that who our as audience? justified? No. I was kidding. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so the, I mean, just just real quick about you know because you brought up the torture part at the end, you know, and how they, I, I won't go into details, but these guys were brutally tortured and killed and it was like they had to be tortured apparently for an hour if you pass out your time stops it's not yeah, like yeah. It's, they it's put time like, back on the clock yeah it's not like you pass out you're like oh good 45 minutes passed you know it's like no nope, you've still got but um nip you know they said they said van leiden didn't let out a scream or anything like that but the yeah. nipper darling tried to hang himself on his rope he was so terrified so they did one at a time and the other two were sitting right there feeling and listening to it happen. Mm-hmm. So Layden went first. and Well, they were back-to-back to, back to each other on at, that. Yeah, right, on this post. Yeah, and they and they basically, what, got the tongs hot and started ripping his flesh from his armpit down, right? Yeah. 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 Now, what did, you guys, what did you guys actually think of it? Like, did you guys enjoy the podcast itself? Oh, it was great. Yeah. I mean, he does, he does a couple uh, – he does a couple of uh, really, really good ones. That one just happened to stand out to me. So, so I know. Uh, so, Rob, you watched the Genghis Khan one, right, Jay? Oh, I love the Genghis Khan one. Yeah, that's my yeah. favorite one. So, so Rob had asked me, did I still, if I remember right, Rob, you said, do I still, after this, do I still view Anabaptist in a just general Protestant Reformation or more in the more in the radical camp? Oh, they're definitely radical. Um, do you view them as just more radical Protestants from that time period, or do you view them as, you know, some something entirely different? You know, like like prophets of doom, like I see I see them as weird medieval heretics. Yeah, well, I guess how do you, how do you view them with everything you know now? So so the Anabaptists, I still, in general terms, just just because it seems like the events in Munster and the Anabaptist movement, at least unless there's another story like this was was more the no. exception than the norm within the Anabaptist movement. Were um, there other Anabaptist movements? This ended it. There's there's according according to Knox here, there's the Anabaptism really as a movement went from 1520 to 1535 to the executions in Munster. There are groups like the the Mennonites yeah. and such And that that's what and that's what I'm ex- referring to as far as yeah. But they they to varying degrees try to separate themselves from anabaptism yeah yeah so prepping for heaven now what i'll say is the first hour you're going to hear the typical uh listen he's trying to play a a a safe role right he's trying not to upset everybody because if he goes and he tries to defend catholicism too much he'll get you know, he'll catch it it's, from the Protestants because it's your standard history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about yeah. Me and Rob had mentioned that in the very beginning how there's a very Enlightenment period type. Yeah. So view the first of hour, that's what you're you're dealing. But it does it does he does do a good job of setting it up, and he does. Uh, I, you know, I would say still listen to the first hour. Yeah, me yeah. too. Just know you're going to hear your typical tropes. 
Yeah. So, like, when you guys were watching, were listening to it, you guys would throw a message. You're like, oh, boy, eye roll, eye roll. But I said, like, you really could skip it, but I think he does a good job of setting the stage for the time period of what you're dealing with. And it's once he gets, I think it's about the hour and 10 minute mark where he starts talking about the two, um, was it the, the, not the two Jans, the other two, um, Melchior Hoffman and, uh, Hoffman well, there's... and, uh, Rothman. Yeah. Cause you, cause you also Rothbard. have Bernard Rothman. Rothbard. Yeah. You get, you wind up getting to yeah. about no, an hour Rothman and 10 there. in and he starts laying, bringing these characters in and explaining who they are and what they do. If you guys have the time, definitely watch, listen to, I keep saying watch, but it's, it's a podcast. You, I bought it on iTunes. So it's actually like, it's only two, it's only two ninety nine. It's not expensive. I bought it too. And it's and it's a five hour podcast. I mean, it's not yeah. you know you're getting five hours of entertainment for two ninety nine. But it was, I mean, I couldn't stop listening when the first time I heard it. I was like, this is the craziest story I've ever heard. Now, now Dan Carlin does an amazing job on the Genghis Khan thing. That's a few parts. That one, right, Jake? That's Jason? three or four. That's three or four episodes. It's like it's twelve phenomenal. hours. You're saying, yeah. yeah. He <laughs> also did- so so I I actually listened to that because I used to have to drive between where I lived in Casper to North Dakota. So I would listen to that stuff I, all the time. I know what I'm doing then on the drive to uh, Steubenville. There you go. Yeah, well, I'm Rob, buy that also, there's one, there's one on the ghost of the Oz front, which is the Eastern front of world war II right. between Russia and Germany. Yeah. That one was amazing. Then he has one on the, on the native Americans. That was really good. He, I mean, dude, world he, war one, he has one on world war one. World war one was, the, I never knew about like the whole France Ferdinand thing really. Like, so, he, so he, he also has one on the, on Japanese history from, and it's, it's very good as well. I mean, all his stuff is pretty good that I've heard. I mean, I'm, I'm not, yeah, but lie. these are the one I've heard some that I, that I kind of lost interest in the Genghis Khan one is phenomenal. Um, Ghost of the Oz front is amazing. So, Rob, if you got a sixteen-hour ride to Superville, I would, <laughs> I, I would do Ghost of the Oz front. That was good, or the World War One, because if you don't really know, uh, how... I, I, I know so much about those two topics. I would. Do All right, really so then, yeah, then I would do Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Now, is it just Genghis Khan, or is it the whole Mongol Empire? It's, it's the, the Mongol, Mongol Empire up until yeah. like he he dies, and then it, of course, it it it, it right, his well, generals right. break off, but. A lot of it is with Genghis Khan. And what amazes me about that episode is, is even in the Middle East, because, you know, throughout history, the, the, the Muslims didn't didn't necessarily fear people in, greatly. Uh-huh. They brave. were they were terrified of this man. Well, listen, yeah. the Mongolian Empire is bigger than any empire in history. The largest contiguous land empire in history. Yep. In history, I mean, it's bigger well, than the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the, the Babylonian Empire. It, it's humongous. Well, that is of ground. This guy in today. Today, it would be uh, ten million people in the world are descended from Genghis Khan. One percent of the world's population oh, yeah. has DNA from Genghis Khan. I thought it was because more than of that. how it. Oh. I thought it was more I, than I know that. it's either one percent or ten percent. Yeah, it's like I think it's one percent. It's at like, it's at least one percent of the world's population has his DNA because he raped that many women. Yeah, right. That's, well, yeah, yeah, and but yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, we should we should maybe think about doing a, a podcast on that once you listen to because I'll listen to it again. Yeah, um, I'll well, sixteen we'll, hours. Maybe we'll do maybe we'll do it at the studio and we'll listen to it on the Roger Steubenville. Do it live. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but, the thing is, it's like, what what is our channel? It's like, I don't know. We just talk about stuff. Well, right? and like, so, it doesn't always have to be Catholic content. We could just talk about history if we, if we want. Well, get I, him, but get him. It'd be sorry. Go, go no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, just because a history we talk about doesn't include many Catholics, I think it would be cool to bring a Catholic perspective to eat all history, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Yeah, so you know, and fun. and I love and I love history. I, you know, I always joke that I got a minor in history by accident in college just because all my electives ended up being history courses. And <laughs> my my advisor good, one year, if you get a good what, history teacher, you love it. it's it's great. And 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 my advisor said, you know, you have enough credits for a minor. Do you want to apply for one? I was like, yeah, why not? But what, anyway, what can you do with that? Nothing. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> so getting back to this episode because we were we were closing up on it uh what, what were uh, so uh, what were y'all's th- uh thoughts on it? because i know you'd asked two questions rob but i'll be honest i don't remember what your second question was <laughs> the second question was the one you answered first it was 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 the execution justified oh no the, the, my, my first question think- was I think the execution was justified. Now I, the, I cringe at the way they were executed. I, I agree. I w- they definitely deserve death from for what they did. But uh, I think they took too much enjoyment in causing that death slowly. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. No. I agree. Yeah. That. Yeah. Their their executions were brutal. They basically flayed them. Yeah. Now I don't disagree that they deserved that. I don't think it should have been done to them, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, send, just send them on to their maker and let <laughs> let their maker decide. Yeah. You know what's <laughs> what's interesting? Well, Dan Carlin didn't mention it, and I don't know if any of the sources that are out there do. Did Dan talk about them possibly any of them reconciling with the Catholic Church at all prior to death? Not I don't think I he remember. mentioned it one way or the other. Did he? Mm-mm. No, I don't no. think I don't think that was even an issue for him, though. Well, right, that's the yeah, that's that's the that's what I want to know, though. Yeah, and and you know the the cages that they were hung in, I didn't I didn't know this because they're like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, they're still hanging at uh, what is it, Saint Lambert's Cathedral Saints. in Munster. Yeah, uh, exactly. but I think the bodies, the bones of the body, were in, stayed in the cages for like what fifty years before they were removed. Yes. But then the then the steeple was rebuilt in the late 1800s, so they had to rehang them. And then after World War II, because of some of the English bombing on them, they they had to either take them down or rebuild the steeple. But <laughs> something I found kind of funny was the, a comment was made: "Oh man, these cages are really sturdy, uh, are really sturdy the way they were built." And I was like, "Mate, they don't make them like they used to." No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys watch the Luther documentary that came out last year? It was in German, I think. I, it, it was a great Luther documentary that came out. I, I watched. I totally forgot about it, but it was so good when it came out. Church Militant was promoting it, and that's why I saw it. Um, not that, not that I would, you know, whatever with them, but like they, right. they were promoting it, and it was, it was a really good documentary on Luther. From a Catholic perspective, just showing how how you know diabolical the whole Reformation really was on his part. I'll have to check that one out again. I I remember being on Vimeo. I had to buy it on Vimeo or rent it. Hmm. I'll try and find it. I'll try and find the name of it and then uh, 
see if maybe we want to watch that one and talk about that one. Next time, next time we do this, I'll try to not be at work. Because <laughs> this is rough. Well, I wanted to be. I wanted to be with you guys so bad. Well, the the pot the the podcast was your recommendation, and I then know, doing a like, show doing a show was your recommendation. I'm <laughs> sorry, man. Thank you guys for holding it down, though. Look at it this way. Tonight is the first time you're getting paid a podcast. That's true. It's just not through monetization. <laughs> I'm making good money today. <laughs> now, 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 what you ought to be afraid of, Anthony, is I thought me and Rob meshed really well together. So uh, you and Mark was, might need to be scared. It was serious. It was well thought out. It was scholarly. It was probably <laughs> boring as hell. You know what? <laughs> well thought out. Scholarly, go watch the Tradman podcast. Don't watch it, all right? Yeah, with with Mark over there going, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got yeah. Those, those are a couple scholarly gentlemen right there. That last episode was really good that you and Mark did, Jason. Not the one with Angela before that. I haven't seen the one with Angela yet. I haven't had time. Oh, the you one talking about the, the light of the east. Yeah, yeah. yeah we gave Mark gave free law advice on that one. I don't know how we got off on that tangent, but we do sometimes. Um, yeah, no, tomorrow we're actually going to be, uh, discussing, uh, or or discussing doing an episode with, uh, Jeremiah from the paleocrats. So I'm excited about that. That is because Jeremiah uh, is very, very interesting person to talk to. Did you know him before we introduced you to him? Uh, not in person. I'd seen, I had started, I had started to see a little bit of his work, but I had never talked. I remember the first time I ever met him, I wasn't actually on the show. I was in the comments and I teased him about his, the wrong color of his headset. Cause I was like, Hey, Christmas is over. We're in Lane. We need to have purple. All right. <laughs> yeah. But no, J- Jeremiah is, is, um, He's a great broadcaster, man. Yeah. He's, he does a great job of his content and, and he, he has a, he's a wealth of knowledge. Haley says we, Haley's right. We should have had tried to get him on this episode. I mean, the, I've only ever heard about this book because of well, Jeremiah. I'm going to read that series. book. I'm going to read that book because of Jeremiah. Do you want me to bring it? Do you want me to bring you my copy? Which book? Well, I'm going to order a copy because I'm gonna. I want to have one at the house. Oh, Enthusiasm, cool. a chapter in the yeah, history yeah. of religion. Yeah. Yeah, he's just yeah. he's just he's just easy to talk to. There's never a, like he, he was one of the easiest people to have on the show. He just he's just he just has a, such a wealth of knowledge. It's just you know it's such an easy conversation to have. Well, he he has a wealth of knowledge, but it's not like like when you talk to some intelligent people, you kind of feel like you're below them or or whatever. You know, he he's yeah. very personable. It's like okay, I I could sit down, have a beer with this guy, talk to him, invite him over for family dinner, would get along yeah, great. Definitely. You know. Yeah. Well, all right, boys. I'm going to run because I'm still getting people bugging me and asking me to. I'm supposed to be running a job with like 18 guys right now. So, but uh, <laughs> okay. I apologize. Dude, I'm so sorry. I wish I was here for this whole thing. I would have, I would have loved to be here for it. It's but okay. We'll edit, us. we'll edit your parts out. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, you, they won't even know you're here. <laughs> that probably be much better. Uh, all right, guys. Thanks. I have a good night, man. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's not how I get out. At least he didn't kill the stream like some people on phones. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I don't have a way um, to come back for that. No. Did uh, did you have anything you wanted to promote before uh, we're done? Um. No. Just 
just like I mentioned earlier, I, I I'll probably take this episode, um, just cut an intro and put on our channel as well because I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I think it's yeah, a very it interesting fun. story. So, I just released an episode today, um, with Angela Erickson. Uh, she has a podcast as as you know, but for any listeners, integrated with Angela Erickson, uh, we talked to her about pregnancy centers. I would say crisis pregnancy centers, but as we learned in the show, that's kind of an outdated term. They're just pregnancy centers now. <laughs> so we had a really – so that was released today. Very good episode. She She's a phenomenal guest, uh, wealth of knowledge, especially in the pro-life movement. Yeah, she's, um, a, she's a pro with that. Yeah, yeah. And I'll probably release the episode, or Mark, one of us will release the episode with Jeremiah maybe in a day or two after we record it. And then – uh, let's see. Next week, I hope to get a, our first series out on the different churches, and uh, I may which, even. Uh, which church you doing? Oh, church? sorry. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I forgot. I, my brain doesn't transfer <laughs> um, what I'm thinking. So yeah, we're doing a series on the different churches within the Catholic Church. So small C within the big C, um, like your, you know, your different rites, your Byzantine rites, your Alexandrian rite, and stuff like that. So. For people that don't know, there are, depending on who you talk to, 24 different churches within the Catholic Church. Um, most of them are are, are in the East. Um, 23 of the 24. Yeah. So so we're going to talk about those, and, and I hope to re- – uh, we did an introduction last week on what we hope to cover in the series. Um, we will hopefully put out the first episode in that series next week. And then uh, I am also planning on next week to talk to a friend who is involved in the Colby Prison Ministries, who okay. I've been I've been a part of two or three times in the past, and uh, they're really trying to live the message of, you know, visit those in in prisons that Jesus, you know, uh, talks to us about. I believe it's yep. in Matthew Matthew twenty five maybe, but. Uh, but anyway, I think it's a good ministry. It it does good work. So I'd like to get him on to kind of advertise for those Colby Prison Ministries. Haley wants to know if Angela was the first woman you interviewed for the show. Yes. So not not yesterday's episode. We interviewed her a while back uh, when we first met her. Um, we had some audio issues with Riverside, but since then we've had we've had uh, Amanda Lar on, who's a Catholic author. We've had Angela, um, and I, I can't remember if we've had another female on or not. Yeah, so it is a man podcast, but people ask us, "How do you? How did you come up with the name?" And we're like, "Look, we're not that creative. We just, <laughs> we just a, no deep meaning. <laughs> we just, we just attend a traditional Latin mass. We hold more traditional values. And and Mark was like, thought of Mad Men, so he was like Trad Men, and before we put our first episode, he's like, Hey, if you want to change the name, I have no problem with it. I said, dude, I can't think of anything else. So, um, but yeah, but before every time we've had a, a woman on, on those first couple episodes, at least when we had a woman, we made, go. we, we made the comment, even though we're trad men, we aren't against our female Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So. Um, I think Anthony and I might stream sometime this weekend. Um, <clears throat> about uh, the Shia, the Shia LaBeouf interview, not with Bishop Barron, but he did one with, um, I don't remember his name, uh, 
he did one on a podcast called the real ones i don't know if you're familiar with that podcast at all jason um i know the hot ones right the one where they eat the wings <laughs> I, i'm not familiar with the real ones no um I, for, I forget the name of the actor who does it but he was uh he he was um he act he was an actor with shia labeouf in um fury that world war ii tank movie with brad pitt but anyways um we want to kind of do a review of that interview oh i because... know who you're talking about okay i just looked him up sorry yeah i know who you're talking about he What's was a- What's the name? Do you have the name there? Yeah, because he was also in like uh, The Walking Dead as well. Beginning, um, yeah, I he recognize this. Shane, right? Is it Kevin Campbell? No, nope. no, that's the real one. Basketball, sorry. But anyway, yeah, I, I see the guy's name. Uh, John Bur- John Bernthal. John Bernthal. Okay. John Bernthal's real real ones, but we wanted to review that interview because um, it's a little over two hours and. It's a personal friend of Sheila Buff, so Sheila gets a lot more personal with him and talks a lot more about his, not necessarily his actual conversion to Catholicism, but it's, yeah, it definitely talks about his conversion um, in general to just a better way of living. Um, there's a lot of vulgarity, vulgarity in it, so I don't necessarily recommend anyone watch it uh, because it's just two modern dudes good friends talking so it's pretty vulgar but um we wanted to get into it just because of the interest that the interview with bishop baron um had did it sell you on the authenticity authenticity of his conversion one way or the other um i even listening to bishop baron i i i felt his conversion was authentic i didn't think he was right. putting it on right as some sort of act for the movie or anything like that but yeah if you listen to just the bishop baron interview it comes off um the way he talks and maybe it's just the words he uses but it sounds like it was much more of an emotional conversion that he had at a hard point in his life while he was doing a movie about padre pio right which if that's all it was that's still amazing don't get me wrong but in this this interview with John Bernthal, he goes a lot deeper, right? And he talks a lot more about um, his time in, in in AA and the struggles he was having in his personal life, and some of the um, just amazing things that happened that at the time maybe seemed like coincidence that he now recognizes were was God working in his life to get him to this place. Um, so I really came away from that interview feeling like he has a much more solid ground in the faith than I thought he might have from just watching the Bishop Barron interview. Okay. I mean, he, yeah, he, you know, he's talking to, to a good friend that isn't religious. So he's, he tries to skirt around like actively pushing Catholicism on him. Right. Um, but from what he says, you can't help but see just the deep conversion that he's had. Not that it will necessarily last or anything like, you know, I don't want to get hopes up because with celebrities, it always seems to go downhill in the end. But yeah. um, I'm a lot more confident in it now. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'll have to listen to it and tune into you guys because, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I didn't have any reason to doubt his conversion of the Bishop Barron interview. 
And on top of it, charity requires me to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, the criticisms leveled against him would not have been leveled against him if he had not been such in favor of the traditional Latin mass. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and and he doesn't, you know, this one, he doesn't talk about any of that because he's he's not talking to a a Catholic. He's talking to someone else. But um, so Anthony and I plan on doing a, a show hopefully sometime this weekend on that. That's all that we got coming up. Besides any live shows we do in Steubenville on October 7th. Yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, because we're, we're what, a couple weeks away? Three weeks? Two weeks? Something like that? Two weeks from uh, tomorrow. Yeah. I'm going to bring – I have uh, one of those Rebel cameras, like camera, you know, nice little camera, but I've also got a microphone for it. Oh, okay. So I thought about bringing that just to – even even if we don't do it live with it, maybe I could put something together for our, yeah. our channels and stuff like that because that'll be that'll be fun. Well, uh, anything else before we sign off here? No, that's all I've got. I've rambled enough. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for everyone who uh, joined us for the live stream. Thank you to everyone who's watching at a later time. Um, if everyone can please like the video, subscribe if you haven't already. That would be uh, that'd be absolutely great. And uh, make sure you head over, subscribe to Jason and Mark over at Tradmen. Um, check out their latest uh, latest videos, um, especially the one with Angela. Make sure you subscribe to Angela as well, too. But anyways, have a good night, everyone, and thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>